Let's praise the Lord for his amazing grace today. Wow. What a joy to uh, be with you after some travels this summer. And I want to let you know, Sea Road, it is an incredible privilege uh, every time I get the opportunity to be with you. Been traveling around to various churches and various camp meetings, representing the Central Canada District of the Wesleyan Church, but everywhere I go, I carry you in my heart. Because I love you so much, and God loves all of you so much, and God has called us to continue to be a beacon to this community. And so we want to be that beacon. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for what you do for Christ in this region. You are making a difference. And I'm so grateful for the team here at Sea Road. Just an amazing, amazing group. I can't name them all, but I want to thank Pastor Roger and Pastor Justin, Pastor Hannah, Pastor Desiree, all, Glenn, everybody else. Can you just say thank you to them? Wow. I always joke that I should go away more often. Go away, something really new and freaky and fun happens, like new play structures. Go away a couple weeks, I get back, and it's like, we're building a play structure. I'm like, well, how do you do? Isn't that great? You know, it's just fantastic. Well, the things that happen around here, and uh, tonight you're going to hear from the worship team again if you want to come back this evening and uh, hear the worship concert. There's going to be prayer in the garden throughout the day for kids going back to school. There's a small group's chance to join a group coming up in September that's going to start in uh, early October. This month is so exciting. The end of the month, we're going to invite the community here for a community fun fest, and it's just going to be an incredible, incredible start to the autumn season, and I'm glad that we are a part of it. I want to begin today by asking how many of you can think of some aspects of your life, one or more aspects that you want to see change. If you want to see change in your life, raise up your hand. You want to see change in some aspect of your life, all over the place, up in the balcony. Yeah, all kinds of you. I'm not talking about the kind of change that Pastor Justin wants to see. He wants to see change in the NFL. He's not going to see it because he wants to see the Bills overtake the Patriots. It's never going to happen, right? He wants to see that kind of change. Pastor Roger, he's got a change that he wants to see. He wants to see me stop talking about sports at the beginning of sermons because he doesn't care about sports, right? He wants to see that kind of... I'm not talking about that kind of change, though. Those guys want those changes, but they're not going to happen, right? I'm going to keep talking about sports, and the Patriots are just going to keep winning. I mean, it's just going to keep going like that, right? But I'm talking about your personal life. Think of a couple of changes. Think of, think of something deeply personal to you that you want to see change. Maybe you don't even want to share that one. But think of something just regular, run-of-the-mill daily life that you want to see change, right? Just think of a couple of things. Turn to your neighbor and give them the one that you an easy one. Give them the, the low-hanging fruit change in your life. Just turn to your neighbor say, just give them a change you want to see happen in this next little season of your life. Just turn to your neighbors, let them know. Wow, I think I'm hearing more than one. 
you guys have some changes, right? There's some changes that we want to see happen. This is my friend Matt. Uh, I went to seminary with Matt, okay? He looks really old, doesn't he, right? How can, how, can he, how can we be that old? But we went to seminary together. He posted these photos on Facebook this week, and this is what he said. He said, exactly one year ago, I finally took action to improve my health. I tipped the scales at 240 pounds. My cholesterol and my triglyceride levels continued to slip out of control. It wasn't that the foods I ate were necessarily bad. I just had no self-control. And I did have a secret love affair with a woman named Little Debbie. (laughs) Those Little Debbie cakes, right? And her sweet friends. Now he says this, he says, I didn't do anything drastic. Some of you may disagree with the drastic nature of this. He said, I quit eating between meals. Oh, that's drastic, right? I quit eating after 7 p.m. I tried to get at least seven hours of sleep every night, and I joined a gym so I would be forced to work out regularly. Nothing drastic, right? That sounds pretty drastic. You can see the visual results. Still got a few more pounds to go. Here are the results by the numbers. April 27th, 218, 240 pounds. Triglycerides, 269. LDL, 147. HDL, 28. I don't know what that means, but anyway, some of you know what that means. August 27th, 219, 208 pounds. Triglycerides, 99 LDL 113, HDL 29, and he said, I actually think my cholesterol numbers are even better at this point. Those numbers were only after six months. So my seminary buddy, he's going to live a couple years longer, right? He made some changes, right? Let's, let's just give Matt, uh, Matt, there you go, buddy. Good job. He'll be really glad that I did that today. For many of us, we want to change our physical health. For others, we want to change our anxiety levels. For others, we want to change our sense of satisfaction with our work. Or we want to change our relationship with our family or our friends. The problem for most of us is that change, it doesn't come easy or it's not natural. Take a look at this video with a silhouette of a ballerina dancing, okay? Just, we'll play it for just a few seconds, right? Many of you have seen this uh, ballerina uh, dance going on. So as you watch that. All right. How many of you saw the ballerina move counterclockwise? Just raise up your hand. If you saw the ballerina move counterclockwise. How many of you saw the ballerina move clockwise? Interesting, right? Now, if you turned to those neighbors, and you you guys could get in an argument about this, right? In terms of how you saw, how many of you saw both? How many of you saw, okay, a few of you saw both. Here's the truth. The silhouette is an illusion. You can see it either way. So with that knowledge, just take a second and see if you can see the ballerina go the other direction, all right? Just, Just focus in for a second. Can you make her go the other direction? Can you do it? How many of you are seeing her go the exact opposite direction? How many of you are doing it? All right, a few hands went up, right? Yeah, it's difficult, right? It's very difficult. All right, some of you just couldn't make her change, could you? I tried and I tried and I tried. Do you realize only 10% of people 
can make the ballerina, can see the ballerina going the other way after they've already seen it going one way. Why? Because our brains are pattern machines. And once you see a pattern, once you're in a pattern, it's really difficult to change. The truth is 90% of people can't see that image go the other way. The only way that I could see it was just barely when I, when I would watch it and I would just watch it from peripheral vision. I, w I couldn't see it straight on and see it go the other direction. But if I looked away and in my peripheral vision I was looking, I could say, oh, it does go the other way. But then I'd try to get her to do it and I couldn't get her to do it, right? Because our brains are pattern machines. Every person needs change. We all need change in our lives. Every one of us that are here. Bi the Bible says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you fall short somewhere in your life, you need to change. And it's good that you're here. We are sinners and saints all at the same time, folks. And we need change. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus, there's something in your life that needs to change. The key thought for today's message is this, in order to change your life, you have to change your perspective. In order to change your life, you've got to change your perspective. We're in this series right now called Perspectives. And uh, these last couple weeks, Pastor Roger and Pastor, uh, Pastor Justin have been leading us in some amazing messages from the book of Philippians about perspectives. Philippians was written by a Jewish Roman citizen named Paul. He wrote it to his friends in a church in the city of Philippi, which was located in eastern Greece. Paul wrote the letter to a group of people who were just like us, humans, right? People who were following Jesus, but they were just regular human people. They had anxieties. They had families. They had jobs. They had stress. And Paul wanted his friends to have the same perspective as Jesus. That's what Pastor Justin talked about last week, that having a like mind with Jesus, that Jesus was the one who gave everything, and then God gave everything back. And Paul's saying, you can be like that, but you need to have a different perspective on things. Jesus came that we might have life, John tells us in John's gospel, and have it to the full, an abundant life. Most of us want to change our lives so that we can live abundantly. I don't know anyone who wants an anxiety-filled, guilt-carrying, physically exhausted, chemically addicted, spiritually depleted, relationally lonely life. I don't know anybody who wants that. We want a full life with freedom and friendships and faith. So how does it happen? How can this happen? Paul himself, as the guys have talked about the last couple weeks, he was writing from a Roman prison. He was chained up, chained up to another person. As Justin said, all day long he's chained up and he's in prison and he's writing this book from prison. He doesn't have any physical freedom and he wrote this book and he wrote this particular chapter, chapter 3 of Philippians, and he talks about practices that would help them change their perspective. He's giving them practices so that their perspective can change, so that they can change, and that they can experience a full and abundant life in Jesus. And that's what we want. That's what God wants for you today. He wants you to have a full, free, abundant life. So as we look at these practices, 
I can promise you this. If you choose to engage in these practices, if you will open up your life, and if you will say, I'm going to practice what Paul is talking about, I'm going to look for a new perspective, I'm going to practice these so that I can get a new, gain new perspective, they will change you. They will change your perspective, and if your perspective changes, it will change your life. And that's what we want to see. We want to see your lives changed for the better, for abundance, and for freedom. Live out these practices and God will change you. So here's the practices. There's four of them today that we're going to talk about. Easy to remember. I, want, I, I need things easy for me, right? I need practices that are easy to remember. So repeat after me. Rejoice. Reject. Resolve. Remember. Rejoice, reject, resolve, remember. These are the practices we're going to talk about. If you have your outlines, feel free to take them out. And we're going to just walk through these practices before we come to uh, the ultimate practice that we've gathered for on the first Sunday of the month called communion. How to change your perspective. Number one this morning on your outlines, rejoice in your Lord. It's a practice called rejoicing. How many of you have ever had the experience, and it may have been today, right? How many of you have ever had the experience of feeling down in the dumps, tired, grumpy, and not wanting to go to church on Sunday morning? Don't raise your hands because I'll feel bad, all right? Okay? But then you simply decide to go anyway. Even despite what you're feeling, you decide, I'm going anyway. And you got there, and at the end of the experience, you felt refreshed and really glad you made the decision. When Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord, he's telling us to practice joy. Philippians 3.1, hear the word of the Lord today. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Pastor S.D. Gordon said this about joy. It's distinctly a Christian word and a Christian thing. It is the reverse of happiness. Happiness is the result of what happens of an agreeable sort. Joy has its springs deep down inside. And that spring never runs dry, no matter what happens. Only Jesus gives that joy. He had joy singing its music within, even under the shadow of the cross. This is why Paul could experience joy in prison, in awful circumstances. He knew how to practice joy. The principle works for anything. If you want to improve at playing the piano, you practice. If you want to get better at tennis, you practice. You practice until the skill becomes second nature. Now think about our kids going back to school and think back on your school days. Generally, generally, now this, this isn't all of us, but for many of us, we generally remember our kindergarten, uh, nursery school, kindergarten, maybe the first one or two grades, we remember those with joy. Why? Because we practiced, right? You'd go to school in those days and you practiced joy. When we were little, we sang songs, we played games, we took naps, Right? I mean, doesn't that sound joyful? I mean, come on. I have no idea why the curriculum changes. Like, why do they do that? They shouldn't. They shouldn't take the joy out of school. I heard a testimony from a young man 
His name was, ironically, his name was Christian. And I heard this testimony on Friday night at a camp meeting. It was youth night for the camp meeting at Ivanhoe Camp. And this young man named Christian, going into ninth grade, going into high school, he made a statement about his sixth grade year, about his sixth and seventh and eighth grade years. And it just was a throwaway statement as part of his testimony, but I wrote it down because this is what he said. He said, school sucks the faith right out of kids. And it made me sad. That made me so sad. Do you know why Pastor Desiree and Pastor Justin make youth ministry and children's ministry places that they call places of ridiculous fun? Do you know why? Do you know why? It's the same reason we're installing a playland, right? Why? Because in our Sea Road Kids Center, we want it to be a place where kids practice joy. We want them to think of church as a place full of of joy. Did you see the little ones running around here at the front this morning? I am so grateful we're the kind of church where we can just let parents be embarrassed and have fun, right? <laughs> Nobody cares. Why? Because we want the children to be joyful. We want the parents to relax. We want this to be a place of joy where we practice joy. Paul said, rejoice, and I'll say it again, rejoice. The Bible gives a hundred or more ways to rejoice. Rejoice in creation. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. There's a concept in the Old Testament called Sabbath. And it's beautiful. The Sabbath concept. The practice was a gift from God. Why? So we could rest and be joyful. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Some of you this morning... You need to learn to play again. You need to learn to relax and play. The Lord is playful. The Lord is joyful. I mean, why would he make so many wildflowers that we could, he just like, do it again, do it again, do it again. God just is so great in his joy. Why did he make so many of, why did he make all of you unique today? Like, you're unique. It, you're, none of you are the same, and it's just joyful to look at your faces and to see all of you here. It's a joy practice. We need to play again. And when you play, you rejoice that God invented play and wants you to play. And why does, what, what does Paul say? He calls it a safeguard. Isn't that interesting? If you practice joy in the Lord, it's a safeguard. How does it guard you? If you're joyful... You can't be anxious, right? If you learn to play, if you learn to take a nap, if you learn to sing a song, you can't be as anxious. It guards you. It guards against anxiety and fatigue and spiritual complacency. Rejoice in the Lord. Second practice Paul talks about is a practice of rejection, not bad rejection. Paul would say reject your pride. Reject your pride. One of the main obstacles to changing our perspective and therefore seeing positive change in our lives is our pride. Paul actually warns his friends in the church in Philippi. He says, watch out for people who are like I used to be. That's what Paul says. Paul really just uses himself as an example. He says, don't be like I was. He was raised as an expert in the law. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being an expert in the law. The law was based on the commandments that God gave to Moses. And the law, 
The Old Testament law is beautiful. It was actually given as a gift to help the people understand their helplessness and the fact that they needed to turn to God. They needed God's good presence in every aspect of their lives. But as humans tend to do, the people forgot the gift and they forgot the giver. So they had the law, but they forgot the one who gave the law, the playful one, the joyful one. They forgot that it was a gift, and they just had the law, right? You know, some people, when they think of the Old Testament, they think it's stern. God is very stern. He's looking with a sternness. I'm not very stern, am I? I can't do, that. I can't do it very well. <laughs> I need to get one or two of you up here so you can be stern, right? Right? Just that sternness that God, that's what, that's what they had. They had the sternness. They forgot the joy, right? Think of it this way. I know people who take pride in never going over the speed limit, right? I never go over the speed limit. And they're so happy with themselves, right? But they miss the point. They miss the point. The joy is not in the speed limit. They miss the point. The point isn't perfect performance, the point is life. Why do we have a speed limit? We have a speed limit to protect life. So if you go 101 kilometers an hour, you're still in the zone. You're still there. You, you know, you think you're, you know, if you just, if you think you're a hero for never going over 100 kilometers an hour, you're a dingbat, right? You're crazy. Because you're just valuing the law. You're making the law your thing. You think you're a hero. I'm a hero, right? The point of the law. What's the point of the law? It's life. It's joy. So early in Paul's life, that was the mistake he made. He said, don't be like I was. He made it his personal goal to keep the law perfectly. That's what Paul did. He said, I will keep the law. The law. He made the law so he forgot the gift and the giver. Paul said this, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, that's the perfect ritual for a Jewish baby boy. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Ooh, you know, he just thinks he's amazing. As for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law. So he's saying, I was as close to perfect as a person can be. And he got so mixed up in his pride that he was actually, he was so prideful in the law, he actually was chasing Christians down. He was pursuing Christians and having them thrown in jail. He was, when a when a wonderful Christian man named Stephen was when the rocks were flying at Stephen because Stephen worshipped Jesus when the rocks were flying Paul was approving of it and Paul said don't be like me that's what pride does pride kills pride leads to death you might wonder how anyone could get this mixed up but it happens from all kinds of angles think of how Christians in our Canadian government, years and years and years ago, Christians, right? They thought they should make laws that children of indigenous peoples should be all gathered up and put in residential schools so that they could be properly Christianly civilized, right? 
They took a shortcut in their pride. Instead of going and serving their neighbors and loving their neighbors and helping their neighbors, what did they do? They thought, we'll take a shortcut. We know how to do Christianity, so we'll put those children in our schools and we'll make them into the people they're supposed to be. Something got missed in that step. Think of today's politically correct crowd and how they want to compel people to think just like they do in terms of physician-assisted suicide, abortion on demand, and human sexuality. And if you don't think their way, how they look down on you because they're so prideful in, their wonderful, in what they think are their great opinions, I think it's absolutely absurd that we have had doctors who take a Hippocratic oath for centuries and centuries and centuries, and the oath is to do no harm, and now all of a sudden that it's okay to kill. It's not okay. It's not okay. Paul had been a pride-filled man until God knocked him off his horse with a blinding light. His friend Luke told us how it happened in Acts chapter 9 because Paul was so sure he was right. He was so sure. And it says this, as Paul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he had heard this voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Paul knew that human pride not only hurts ourselves, it hurts others. We can get so sure of ourselves that we forget it's God who leads and guides and directs. And this is why Paul was so strong against legalism. Many of you grew up in Christian homes that were really legalistic. And by legalistic, once again, it's the law. It's the sternness, right? But it forgets the joy. Paul said this, and this was about Jewish legalists, right? He said, watch out for those dogs. To be called a dog in that, in that culture was the worst insult. Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. So these legalists who thought they were perfect, Paul just calls them out. It is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ, who put no confidence in the flesh. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. If you have areas of your life you want to change, God can only move in if you'll reject your pride. If you'll put your pride away. I don't care if you're a religious legalist, a moral degenerate, or an agnostic libertarian. I don't care. If you want to change your life, you have to change your perspective. You have to reject your pride. Third practice, resolve toward faith. Paul said this, verse 9 of chapter 3, what's more, I consider everything a loss. All that old way of thinking, all of the old perspective is a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having, listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. 
I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is eternal. This is big. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. He's a human. He's on the way. But what's he do? I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. So how do we do this? How do we press on in faith? How do we resolve in our faith to follow Jesus? Well, we actually have to, in some ways, give up. We have to submit to Jesus so that he can save us and give us what we really need. Here's an example. My beautiful wife, when I met her, she was a lifeguard, okay? And as a lifeguard, she told me that one of the tests that she had to pass was when a muscled up six foot two, 220 pound fellow lifeguard, they would just drench that lifeguard in oil, right? They'd oil the lifeguard up, 220 pound muscled up lifeguard, and her job would be to jump in and make the rescue, because the lifeguard would get in there and pretend to be drowning. I never liked how her eyes got kind of dreamy describing that fellow lifeguard. I always wanted to ask, that was a girl, right? And no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, she, yeah, you ask, she's not here today. You ask her, right? How did, how did you learn to save people? You know, did you ever have to jump in? Her eyes will just get dreamy. It's just kind of crazy, right? Where was I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the point of her story, I think, was that if she was going to make the rescue, the other person couldn't be flailing and fighting. You couldn't flail, and the other person, flailing and fighting, 220-pound, oiled-up, muscled-up lifeguard, couldn't be flailing and fighting. Eventually, she'd just have to wait and wait and wait, and finally, the flailing and the fighting would stop. You guys have all heard the story. Some people have said, you know, as a lifeguard, you just punch them out, right? And then you just knock them unconscious, then you can save them, right? Well, Jesus doesn't do that to us, but he does wait for us to stop flailing, and stop fighting, and stop doing it on our own, and to just trust him, to just put our trust in him. You press on in faith by trusting that Jesus is going to do his job and rescue you. You trust the lifeguard. You trust the Savior. That's faith. You, you, it's not flailing. Pressing on isn't failing. Flailing, pressing on is saying, I'm just going to stop and I'm going to have faith in the lifeguard. Fourth and finally, leading us into our communion time, remember your future. It's a practice called remembering your future. And that's what we're going to do today. And you think that that's a misnomer, right? How do you remember your future? Because when you remember, you remember the past. Usually we remember the past, but actually Paul calls us to remember the future because of what Jesus has done in the past. 
My perspective changes when I live in anticipation. When I'm anticipating something, my perspective changes. Remember when you were a kid and Christmas was coming, right? You just, you got, that just automatically brought joy, right? You're like, I'm going to get that, you know, Red Rider, you know, cart to, you know, Red Rider car. I'm going to get that BB gun. I'm going to, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about BB guns. I'm going to get a BB gun. I'm going to get, you know, a pair, a set of golf clubs or a pair of skis. What, you can tell what I wanted as a kid, (laughs) Whatever it was for you, right? The easy bake oven, I don't know what it was, right? But you, you anticipated, you remembered the future. My perspective changes when I live in anticipation. Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross. He paid the price. He died on a cross. He was nailed. His hands were nailed. His feet were nailed. He was executed, but he gave his life there. They didn't We didn't take it. He gave it. He gave it. It was unjust. It was wrong. But he knew it was coming. And he did it on our behalf. He died on the cross so that we could have a future. And the future was that because Jesus was a perfect sacrifice, death couldn't hold him. He took back the keys of death. He was raised to new life. And that's our future in Christ, is new life. When Paul says, I haven't already attained it, what he means is, I'm not at the resurrection yet, but it's coming. It's coming, and that's what we live into. And what we live into now is an anticipation of what's coming, and when we live into what's coming and we anticipate it, it begins now. And so we have that love of Jesus that spreads into our lives and our families and our schools and our community. Change your perspective, you'll change your life. Change to a godly perspective, you'll have an abundant life. In communion, we remember our future. So Paul's in prison. He's chained up and he's remembering his future. He's actually remembering what the future is going to be because he's remembering Christ. It says this in verse 17, Join together, Paul says, in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, he's sad about this, and we should be sad about this because this happens in our day. Paul says, Many live as enemies of the cross. They live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And this is what Paul says. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, their appetites. That's what they're living for. They're living for the next high, the next hit, the next experience. They're just living for now. And Paul says their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And Paul says it with tears because he's sad about it. But he remembers his future. And he remembers our future. And he wants everybody to grab this future. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Remember your future. That's a practice. 
Here's the deal. God's not done with you yet. Amen? But if you're going to really experience change, you have to adopt a new perspective. Paul's saying that there are many people living as if there's no God. No heaven, no future. There's only this world for them. And they're in trouble. We know that trouble. That's the trouble. That's the anxiety. That's the violence. That's the bullying. That's the trouble. And we're called out of that to remember our future. For them, there's only this world and they're in trouble. It doesn't matter how much money they have, how famous they are, how much pleasure they enjoy. Their perspective is limited. All they have is this world. And Paul's saying we need to understand that Jesus has opened up the future to each and every one of us. Jesus was God and he became like us. God became a person, a human. And he did what no other human could do. He changed the pattern. He was able to change the pattern. He not only kept the law perfectly, he showed us real love by laying his life down for us. He said, if you want to experience real life, follow me. That'll change your perspective. When you come to communion today, we adopt a new perspective at the table. We adopt a new perspective when we receive the bread and when we receive the juice, when we receive the body and blood of Christ. We say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to remember you gave your body and you shed your blood so that my citizenship is established in heaven in the future and that all of eternity would be open to me. That's a new perspective. When your perspective is broadened to eternity, the circumstances of today don't have to chain you up. You're free. A citizen of heaven is going to love others. A citizen of heaven is going to take care of the body God has given them. A citizen of heaven is going to help people experience life, feed the hungry, encourage the lonely, pray for the sick. Pretty soon when you follow Jesus, the things that used to bother you and hurt you and get you down, they don't mean as much as they used to mean. You might not be all the way there yet, but you're on the way. You're pressing on. You're free to love and be loved. God brings the changes sometimes in ways you never expected. You remember your future. Jesus is coming. And everything that's wrong is going to be made right again. His power helps you get it started today. That's who we are. We're his people. We represent Jesus. We take this life, this abundant life, into the world and we make the world better. And we know that we can't do everything that needs to be done to make the wrongs right, but we remember our future. Jesus is going to do it. He's going to do it. And so when you come to the table, that's what you remember. You remember your future. He's going to make it all right. So you're welcome to come and participate in his life and his perspective. As the team comes back, I want to invite you to rejoice in your Lord and what he's done to reject your pride. Seriously, put it away. Because you don't, you don't save yourself. Resolve to press on in faith. Trust that Jesus will save you. Stop flailing. Trust the lifeguard. And remember your future. His body was given and his blood was sacrificed 
so that your body, these bodies, could be raised to eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're coming to your table now to remember our future. God, we reflect on what you've done for us. You went to that cross knowing that that was the pathway to life. You gave yourself on that cross. You took on death and you defeated it there. And you've called all of us to be about life, to preserve life, to enhance life, to encourage life. And so God, we reject our pride and all the things that lead to death today. We rejoice in you. Lord, we resolve in our faith to look to you. God, as we come to this table, we consecrate these elements. We set them apart. This bread, God, we thank you that it symbolizes your body, the body of Christ. And now we're your body, and we participate as your body today. And God, we set aside the juice representing the new wine, God, representing your blood that was shed for us. And there's power in that blood, the blood that forgives us and cleanses us, the blood that is our hope today. God, we love you and we thank you. We're your people. We haven't already obtained it. We're not all the way home yet, but God, we're going to press on and we're going to press in. So Jesus, be with us now in this time of sharing communion together. In Jesus' name.